Episode 83 is an Apple special. An iPhone 12 Pro Max has arrived at Mosin Towers. I'll tell you what I think of it so far, the good and the bad. And Heidi Taylor will help me demonstrate the new LiDAR people detection feature. And then Janet Ingber and Katie Frederick join me to talk Apple Silicon Max. Mosin at Large Podcast. Well, a new device came to live at Mosin Towers last Friday. It's the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And after initially saying that I wouldn't order one, but then being tempted into it because of all the work that Apple's already doing on LiDAR in a blindness context, I got excited about its arrival. You know, once the decision was made to order it, I was really looking forward to it. And it was out for delivery at about 6.55 a.m. on Friday morning. It didn't actually get here until around about 11 o'clock on Friday morning. And just to give you some perspective, that equates to... At the moment, 5 p.m. on Thursday, U.S. Eastern Time. So I may well have been the first blind person in the world to have got an iPhone 12 Pro Max using regular delivery channels at any rate. If you've been following Mosin at large coverage of the new iPhone 12 range, you will know that physically you will feel a difference compared to recent iPhones. And when I took the iPhone 12 Pro Max out of its box, I thought, whoa, (laughs) this is a big kahuna of a phone. And it must feel like that to me because of the changed shape, because in reality, it's fractionally wider and fractionally taller. You'd have to have them side by side to appreciate the difference. And of course, I've got the 11 Pro Max, so I was able to compare them side by side or actually put them on top of each other and see that just ever so slightly, the 12 Pro Max is wider and taller, but it's just a smidgen, man, a smidgen. And it weighs a fraction more, I think like a couple of grams more or something like that. But it's the shape of it, I think, that makes it feel quite heavy in the hand to hold. I wouldn't want the phones to get any bigger than this in this form factor, in this shape. But for those who have been tempted to go caseless, and enjoy the caseless dream, but have been a bit worried about the rounded corners, you know, the rounded edges of the iPhone and how difficult it is to hold them, then this could be the excuse that you need or the reason that you need to finally abandon the case. Because I find this new 12 Pro Max really easy to grip. It kind of feels like a chocolate bar, (laughs) like a massive oversized chocolate bar to me. Don't eat it, though. It won't taste very good. The the chips in there are not for eating. If you remember the iPhone 4S, now I didn't get the 5, but if you remember the iPhone 4S, it feels very similar to that, except way, way oversized if you're getting a Max version of this phone. The camera bump on the back is really pronounced uh, with the three cameras that you find on the iPhone 12 Pro Max. Of practical importance... If you are, like me, the kind of person who inserts your own SIM cards into your phones, because we get our iPhones here, carrier-independent, unlocked, I buy mine directly from Apple, and they send me a SIM-free version, then you need to be aware that the SIM card slot on the 12 Pro Max, and therefore I presume all the 12 range, is on the other side now. So with previous iPhones, at least in recent times, you would go to the right-hand side of the phone and you'd find the side button and you'd go, and if you felt with like a a paperclip or 
indeed the SIM removal tool that Apple does bundle in some but not all boxes, you'd detect that little hole that you can insert the SIM removal tool in and press and the little SIM tray pops out. Now that SIM tray is over on the left below the volume down button on the opposite side of the phone. You are welcome. I hope it saves you a little bit of time. Speaking of the side of the phone, you will notice that the side button on the right-hand side of the phone that you hold down for Siri and you tap for the power button, it is a multifunction thing, is slightly lower on this phone than it has been on the previous generations of iPhones. Just a fraction lower on the right-hand edge. It could possibly be psychological, me trying to justify the purchase, but I do believe the speakers are incrementally better in the 12 Pro Max compared to the 11 Pro Max. There's just a little bit more fullness, a fraction more bass. I mean, we're not talking subwoofer bass, but coming from a phone, the sound is pretty nice in the iPhone 12 Pro Max. It is, of course, fast as you would expect, but I have seen some very strange sluggishness And I don't know what to attribute that to. I am running the iOS 14.3 beta. And also, I've had some issues with my made-for-iPhone hearing aids that have worked so well with my iPhones for the most part. What I'm guessing is that if the iPhone stops talking for a period, and then, say, a notification comes in, or I swipe on the phone, every so often, far more often than I would like, actually, There's this horrible burst of static. I don't know how to describe it other than it's a combination of static and almost like white noise. And it only happens in one ear. When it happens, sometimes I get regular voiceover speech in one ear and the other ear that it's not happening. And in other cases, I don't hear anything at all in the other ear. But it is so loud and so disconcerting that it does make me jump. I guess I'll get used to it if I have to until there's some sort of fix, but it really is loud and it could potentially be actually damaging to your hearing. I mean, it's really disconcerting and unpleasant. Last year, when I got the 11 Pro Max, I had a similar issue with my Logitech Bluetooth keyboard and I ended up switching to an Apple wireless keyboard and found to my relief that it sorted itself out. In that case, what was happening was the audio was getting so choppy that it was impossible to use the phone. So I wondered if it might be related to the Mantis, which is the only new Bluetooth device that I've been using. But I have shut the Mantis all the way down and used the phone without it for some time. And while it's possible that the static is happening less frequently, it is still happening with the Mantis being completely powered down. So I don't think I can blame the Mantis. And actually, while I'm recording this, literally as I put this together, I'm getting a tweet from somebody who wears cochlear implants and just got an iPhone 12 mini. And his experience is much worse than mine. His situation is that he's unable to maintain a connection to both cochlear implants at once. As I understand the problem he's having, one of them will cut out every few seconds If you get a new iPhone in the 12 range and you are a made-for-iPhone hearing aid wearer, if you're having any snafus with it, I'd be really interested to hear. Because if we can collect enough data, then maybe we can have a chat to Apple and see if their accessibility team wouldn't mind taking a look. 
The difficulty I have is that it's not reproducible on demand. I haven't yet found a sequence that reliably makes it happen every time. Battery life on this thing is, as ever, fantastic. Oh, my word. Just great battery life on these Max phones, particularly from the 11 Pro Max on, and it seems that the 12 Pro Max is continuing that tradition. Now, that said, I'm not in any 5G area at the moment. There are other cities in New Zealand where my carrier has switched 5G on in parts, but here we are in New Zealand's capital, and have they switched it on here? No, they have not. But speaking of battery life, I have once again had the devil of a job getting my Apple Watch sorted out. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll remember that when I bought my Series 5 Apple Watch last year, I had abysmal, abysmal battery life. And then I thought I might have had a dud watch. I got the Series 6 and found that the abysmal battery life continued. Finally, after trying everything else possible, I did the nuclear option, erased the phone and the watch back on the 17th of October. I remember because it was election day here. (laughs) Restored my phone from an iTunes encrypted backup and uh, the watch as well from from a backup, I believe, or I may have set it up as new. But anyway, it all worked brilliantly. And I have, for a little under a month, been enjoying amazing battery life on my Apple Watch, living the dream, using it like I've always wanted to use it. So I was somewhat nervous about getting a new phone and jinxing it again. And sure enough, my nervousness was justified. What happened was that I restored from an encrypted iTunes backup. And as part of that process, the iPhone 12 Pro Max popped up and it said, do you want to use your Apple Watch with this iPhone? Well, yes, I did. So I chose yes, and it performed a sync between the new iPhone and the watch. And all seems to be happy, except that battery life was absolutely plummeting through the floor again. So I tried erasing the watch and restoring from the backup. I then tried setting up the watch as new and still I was having abysmal battery life. Finally, having learned my lesson and not wanting to squander another year of good quality Apple Watch life, I erased the phone again, which is a big deal because when you restore from an iPhone backup, you have to open all your apps that send you push notifications that you care about before they will push. I don't know why there's not a better way than that, but that's what you have to do. And then, of course, because I'm a neat freak, I need to close all those apps again from my app switcher. And there's no close all button anymore in iOS. I'm pretty sure that in the very early days, there did used to be one, but now there isn't. So you have to close them all manually. So anyway, it's a big deal. But in the wee small hours of the Saturday, I erased the iPhone, started over with the encrypted backup. I unpaired my watch before restoring from the backup. So I didn't get any prompt about, did I want to use the watch? I let all the apps install, did all that kind of stuff. And then I repaired my Apple Watch and restored from the backup it took yesterday. And I'm knocking on the wood because it is actually quite early days as the show goes out. But at the moment, the battery life is back to normal again, back to what I've been enjoying over the last month. Now, it is true to say that sometimes I have experienced this and then after the first charge is when the battery starts to plummet again. I'm hoping, though, that since 
the nuclear option of restoring from a full iTunes backup worked last time, that it will do the magic this time as well. What all this says to me is that I'm probably overdue for setting up an iPhone as new. I did it a few years ago. I kind of thought, oh, this will get rid of some weird quirks and crud, and actually it did. It really did help with a couple of long-standing issues that no one else seemed to be having. And I suppose with all the beaters that you install and different things like that, over time you can just get some sort of corruption, and if you do a backup, then that corruption gets backed up too. So summer's coming, and I'll have a nice long break over summer, and I may well bite the bullet and do it then. I may wipe the phone one more time, obviously backing up in case I change my mind, and setting this up as a new phone just to see if a few little niggles go away as a result of that. I've had limited opportunity to play with the camera, and again, it could possibly be buyer's bias. There you go, buyer's bias. But I believe that I am able to take pictures of documents using apps like VoiceStream Scanner a lot more quickly. And I say that because if you're familiar with VoiceStream Scanner, you'll know that a really cool feature it has is this kind of tone that gives you an indication of how good a picture you're getting, how much is in the view. And I used to spend a wee while trying to get that tone as loud as I possibly could before allowing the picture to be taken. With this phone, though, I seem to be getting the loud tone almost immediately. It seems to be focusing on the document a lot more quickly, and I'm able to plow through a lot more print mail, for example, because I'm in charge of print mail around here, and uh, get things done. So it is very early days. I haven't gone and taken pictures. I haven't used Ira with it yet. I've been doing other things, but it does seem to be pretty impressive. And now joining me in the studio is the famous technology expert consultant, Heidi Taylor. Oh, hello. <laughs> we should say at this point that you have had it confirmed that you are graduating as an electricule engineer with honours. That's correct. That is absolutely tremendous. And for everybody who keeps saying that Heidi should get more technology as a graduation present to say, well done, we got Heidi an Apple Watch series number six. You enjoying that? I am. It's very nice. It's got much longer battery life and more features than the one I had before, I was which say, was an original how's series. How's the battery one. life on yours? It's it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I've got mine sorted out again. God, talk about traumatizing. So what do you think of this phone? I've heard it described by some people as a surfboard. I mean, it just reminds me of the iPhone 5, really. Yeah, massively inflated. Well, yes, massively inflated. It reminds but... me of the 4S, but do you think this is more like the 5 than the 4S? Well, um... I don't know, I just say the 5 because that was the last one to have that design before now. Right. Did, that, did the 5 have the same design as the 4? Yes. Yeah, all right. They yeah. changed it with the 6 Right. to yeah, the I, curvy I one that. that we have. I remember when we went and you got the 6 and I got the 6 Plus it was called, wasn't it? That was the first big kahuna phone. Yep. Wow, tremendous. And you wouldn't let me bring my emoji home. You still go on about that. God. I didn't let you, it wasn't that I didn't let you, it's because there was no way we could get it home. It was this massive. So what they did was they had this virtual queue thing. Yeah. 
And uh, to hold your place in the queue, you got allocated an emoji, and it was this massive thing. I mean, it, w- it was like person sized. Yes, and there was no way that we'd be able to get it in a cab going home. I guess you should be grateful you got the iPhone six. Who cares about that emoji? Hey, I paid for that iPhone. I know, but you should still be grateful that you were able to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I tell you what, I'll make you an emoji for Christmas. Oh, thanks. There you go. Then you can stop whinging on about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, anything else about the iPhone? You've been using it because we've been taking pics of documents and things. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's my imagination. I think it focuses very quickly, which is what they said it would. Yeah, the camera feels very snappy and it's very clear when it takes photos and when you're just trying to focus on things. It's it's very responsive and nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's really good. So we're going to we got you in here to demonstrate the lidar, and which are really cool. I played with them in one of my courses. Lidars. So what can you tell us about lidar from your electrical engineering background before we do the demo? So essentially, a lidar is used in situations to detect distance to objects, and it's really good because it doesn't require light so it's good in low light situations as well and so that they've included it makes it really easy to like judge distances and then when you use that in conjunction with a camera for object detection you get really accurate like distance and object detection so it can like in my course we were using robots that would hypothetically navigate a warehouse for like automated warehouses and moving stock around and so we were able to identify different objects like shelving and things like that quite easily and if people got in the way it would know that the people had priority over the robot and things like that so that was cool lidar is one of the key ingredients in the future robotic guide dog yep now, as we talk about specific applications of LiDAR, other than the fact that it is doing some amazing stuff with focusing really quickly when you're just taking pictures or scanning a document, but there are some other applications as well. One of them that I read about that's interesting is being able to tell the height of people. I find this quite interesting to find out how tall people are, probably because you just can't look at them and say, oh, you're very tall or not, as the case may be. <laughs> So I was interested in this, and you've been playing with this mm-hmm. in the Measure app. Yes. So how does it work, and can a blind person get this done? Uh, well, the way it works is you have to stand back from your subject, so you've got a bit of distance, so that you can get your person with both their feet and their head in the frame, and then it will measure how tall they are. And we did test it, and it worked on you. Right. So. so you would have to be some distance from the person to get an image big enough to have their feet and head in the frame, wouldn't you? Yeah, probably a, at least a meter and a half, maybe two. I don't know what that is in feet, six feet, right? Something like that. All right. I wonder if I can have a go at this. So I'll turn voiceover on because I had it off while we were on. talking. Messages. And I will One news. go. Describe images. In Language. Container. Language. English, 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 US. There we go. We'll get good old Alex going because people like Alex for demos. Okay. And we'll go back into app switcher, measure, active, measure app. Measure. So I don't have to mark. Focus on point. I don't have to mark a point or anything because it says focus on a point. Not snap. Well, it says that if you're trying to measure an object, you tell it which points you're measuring from. But with the person thing, it just worked automatically when I had a whole person in the frame. Okay. So now you stand up then. Yep. 
You not said that. Not snap. <clears throat> and find a nearby circle. Take yeah, picture. Yeah. Move. No focus. And add a point. It, it's saying add a point. So how? Where should I put the camera? Do you think? Um, probably. Take picture button. You're trying to take a. F now it said take picture button. Do you need to take a picture? I didn't. No. Okay. Um. So would that be about the right height? To get you fully in the frame? Um, I would believe so. That's about the height I was holding yeah, so it I'm at for you. I'm not getting any speech. I'll just... At focus, no focus. Oh. Take picture, dimmed button. Yeah. It's, so I'm just going to move around the screen. History button, no focus. No focus, history, clear, dim, add, dimmed, undo, dim, take picture, tab bar, level, tab, so, 202, add, a focused on point, no focus. Oh, focused on... Add, a focused on point at center of screen. Okay, so I I can't get it to work. It could be okay. me, but... Not snapped, not snapped. It could be quite difficult. Move closer. I think it could be quite difficult. Um, so it, you are supposed to be able to do it, and in fact you can do it because Heidi was Move able closer. to measure Not me. Snapped. I'm just going to turn voiceover on while we slow down. Voiceover yeah, off. Yeah, we, we should all slow down. Um, <laughs> so you can do it, and if you get it done as a blind person, and there's a knack to it, I'd be really interested to know um, how that works. So that's that. But the reason why I was persuaded to get one of these was because of what they've done with the magnifier. I think it's probably more a proof of concept than anything at the moment, but where it's going to be very useful is when Apple starts releasing its glasses, which people are pretty confident will be happening because if you can get this sort of stuff in glasses, well, you're really rocking. This is the magnifier app with LiDAR capabilities that give you detection that speaks detection information about when people come into the view. So I'm going to turn voiceover back on now. Voiceover on, measure, take picture. And that noise is because Not my Mantis is right here as well. We'll get out of the measure no. app. And I have the magnifier in control center, but we can also just say to Siri, open magnifier. Cord, wood processed, wood processed. Okay, now um, we're, we're moving around the room and it's actually telling me what it can see, which is pretty cool. Now, we'll flick right. Grabber. Selected. Zoom. Zero. Zoom. Zero. Brightness. Fit torch. Off. Button. People detection. Button. And there's the people detection button, which you have to press. So we'll double tap it. People detection on. Okay, now I'm going to point at you. One. You're stable, are you? Yeah, you are. So that tone is Heidi. If I move the camera to the left, even just a bit, then we lose it. I just pan the camera to the right. Just pan One. There we go. And it said one, which means that Heidi is a meter away one. from me, which is about one. right. Now, if you start moving away, Heidi. 1.5. There we go. The tone is slowing and she's 1.5 meters Two. away. I'll move the camera back. 2.5. And there's 2.5 meters. So she's 2.5 meters in front of me. Now, you come back towards me. 2. 1.5. 1. 0.5. <laughs> ah! 
don't come any closer. <laughs> so um, that's the that's the lidar uh, people feature in the Magnify app that is blindness specific. That is pretty cool, actually. And if you can combine that with identifying specific individuals. You really are rocking it. You might, and I appreciate that, that this is why I suppose it could be considered a bit of a proof of concept. It might be considered a bit nerdy to hold your camera around like that. I mean, I don't know whether I would do it if I'm in a line and trying to social distance, but I might. I mean, people do all sorts of things with their cell phones, don't they? Yeah. Do I you mean, think that it would look a bit sort of weird? I mean, people are often just oh. holding their phones in front of them anyway, so... I mean, people might think you're trying to take photos of them, but <laughs> other than that, it, most people would have, like, lots of people walk around holding their phones out anyway, so it's not that weird. Yeah. Pretty impressive. More light required. Detection paused. Oh, I see. Okay, detection paused. That's right, because I put the camera on the the desk there, put the phone on the desk. So that is the new people detection feature in the iPhone 12 Pro Max, and it's also available in the 12 Pro which has LiDAR as well, although the 12 Pro Max does have a slightly better camera, better sensor, that kind of thing. But I doubt it will make an appreciable difference to most of what we do. And if you have small hands, you might not want this one because it's huge. It is huge. Don't you think that just the change of shape makes it feel more huge than it used to? I think so. I think the rounded edges of the 6 through 11 gave it like an easier to grip feel just because the roundness led to you wrapping your hands around it. Whereas this has the hard edges again. And I guess it feels, I don't know, less grippable in the same way. Like you can't wrap your hand around it in the same way, I think. Yeah. I just think it's so cool. And it really demonstrates Apple's commitment to accessibility that right in 14.2, immediately they have this accessibility feature built in. And I think it is pretty cool for social distancing and that kind of thing. Also, as a hearing impaired person, sometimes you don't necessarily know that someone's coming up to you or you miss them in a crowd or something like that. So it does have a number of practical benefits and i think once they put it in glasses man it will be great yeah if they can combine the um, facial recognition feature they've already been implementing into photos for years for like you can use photos to figure out who's in a photo if they can combine that with the lidar you probably can get like person predict like detection and it'll tell you who it thinks it is yeah and i don't believe that that's in there at the moment um, but that, you know, th- there's lots of room for growth, and it will be also cool to see what third-party developers do with this stuff. Well, thank you for your help with that. <laughs> we needed a second person to demonstrate the lidar. Yeah. yeah. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. In terms of transformations, it doesn't get any bigger than this. As Apple's product range has settled down over the years, we've become used to Incremental things, faster, thinner, better, slightly more capable every year. But Apple has literally given the Mac a brain transplant in the biggest change that the Mac has seen for well over a decade. Three new Macs were announced at Apple's One More Thing event, and they're the first to be powered by Apple's new M1 ARM-based processors. System on a chip, SOC they are. You can order those Macs today. The question is, should you? 
Now, I'm joined by some Mac-using experts. In New York, we have Janet Ingber, whose work you may have seen through NBP and in Access World. It's great to have you here, Janet. Thanks for doing this. Great to be here. It's my pleasure. And in Ohio, it's uh, Katie Frederick, who has been using a Mac for some time and also pops up on technology podcasts from time to time. Hi, Katie. Hello. It's great to be here. Can I just start with a general question for both of you? And uh, Janet, we'll start with you. How do you evaluate the accessibility of the Mac, especially given that, you know, I've been looking around Twitter in the last day or so after this announcement, and a lot of people have said, yeah, this all sounds really groovy, but the Mac desperately needs some voiceover love, that it is missed out compared to iOS. Do you agree? What sort of shape do you think the Mac is in with voiceover? I think it's still in good shape. I would like to see it a little easier with voiceover. Um, but hopefully that will happen in Big Sur. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for another day. As far as the the new chip on the Mac, um, it's nice that Apple is doing their own chip finally, and that they say you can run um, iPhone apps on on it. But they didn't say how all of these apps will run, and I don't know. What my thing is, you know, let's see how it shakes out. And what are the two percent of laptops that are faster than the M chip, the M1 chip. Katie, the state of voiceover in general on the Mac, you know, people have said on Twitter, especially Safari busy, all sorts of things that just don't seem to be tidied up. How do you feel about the accessibility on the Mac with voiceover right now? So my current Mac is the MacBook nothing as it's commonly called. It was the one that was released in 2015 with the special keyboard that people hate or love or are kind of agnostic about, which is me. Um, and it has the, the single USB C port, et cetera, et cetera. So it is often busy, um, these days. <laughs> I often hear Alex saying busy. Um, but that aside, I still do like my Mac and, um, have one in my favorites, uh, a new Mac ready to add to my cart. But, uh, I, I'm still going to stick with the Mac and I'm, I'm hoping to, to see some voiceover improvements with Apple controlling the whole bit now. So I'm, I'm hoping that that will be a, a helpful improvement to voiceover on the Mac. Yeah, can I just add something? The um, the Air, the new MacBook Airs that are coming out, they all have the chip. I've heard, and I don't know if this is actually true, that you have a choice whether you want an Intel chip or a um, a new M1 chip with the MacBook Pro, the 13-inch the Pro. I'm not sure of that. That's just what I've heard. But um, I've got a 2016 MacBook Pro. I like it. I don't get Safari busy, but sometimes when I get it, it it's a mess to get out of it. And, and every once in a while, everything will lock up. Yeah. I mean, everything's been pretty busy for me lately. So I, it's definitely time for me to to uh, give myself a Christmas and birthday gift this year. So that's what I plan to do. Yes, it does look like they're holding on to the Intel Macs for a while as this transition mm-hmm. takes place. Are you ordering one, Janet, or are you going to hang on a bit? Um, I am not ordering one just because I decided I wanted a new Apple Watch more than I wanted a new Mac. So next year is the Mac. Yeah. And you've but, got one in your cart, you were saying, Katie. I Yes, I'm, I'm getting more and more. I'm inching towards pushing that buy button, you know, because like I said, mine is five years old and it's, you know, it's running well. But I also I want to be in on this on this M1. And I'm willing to take the chance of being in on a first generation chip like this. So I'm I'm ready. So you're on the edge there. What was it that just didn't make you go, whoa, 
I have to have this thing. I have to have it right now. I mean, why didn't you just buy it yesterday? Because we're recording this the day after the event, by the way. So why didn't you just hit the button right after the event concluded? Well, I didn't look until late last night, and I was debating between the Mac Air and the Mac Mini. However, upon further thinking and looking at my use case, I still think I want a laptop versus a desktop. Although a 699 computer is really compelling, but I do think for my use case, I still want to have that laptop form factor. And I don't really know that I need a MacBook Pro. I'm not really keen on a touch bar. I would use it and I would know that Apple would make it work with voiceover. I'm not worried about that, but I just personally, I think the Air will meet my needs. I think it will be a good, a good investment for me. So. I agree with Katie. I actually, I was doing a, a, a book about the Mac, so I needed a Mac with a touch bar. Otherwise, I would not have gotten one. For somebody just learning to use the Mac, it might be really good. Or, but if you're somebody like me or like Katie, who's who's been typing all this mm-hmm. time, I I will honestly say I hardly use the touch bar. Yeah. that's what, And I've heard that from sighted people too. That's not just the blind. I mean, there are some people who are just like, I don't really use it or some that really yeah. do. So it seems to be kind of a... Um, a thing, but I just, I don't know that I need to spend that extra one or $200 for, for the Mac Pro. My next one will be an Air. Absolutely. Yep. For those who haven't been keeping up closely with this, the uh, Apple event announced three new Macs, and we'll we'll put the Mac mini aside for a second and talk about the two laptops. So at the top end, you have the MacBook Pro. The interesting thing is that they have exactly the same processes in both cases. With the MacBook Air, if you get the 512, you do get a slightly faster uh, GPU. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you get the same processes in the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro. But one of the key differences, you note that in the keynote, they talked about how the MacBook Air is now fanless. What they really didn't make a song and dance about was the fact that the MacBook Pro does still have a fan. What they think is that the fact that there'll be better cooling on this new M1 processor in the Pro will make it feel faster because it will slow down when it gets hot. So the MacBook Air might be a little bit slower. You also get a much better microphone array in the MacBook Mm. Pro, which could be important for some blind people. But I agree with you. It's kind of a really complicated decision because I think most blind people would prefer the row of function keys above the QWERTY keyboard. And with the MacBook Pro, you get the touch bar. I was quite surprised that Apple didn't use the M1 launch as an opportunity to quietly retreat from the touch bar on the MacBook Pro. I don't think that's somebody's going like it. No, I don't. Yeah, think I mean, I think it's used by the developers and and those who really, you know, again, if you're in if you're in, say, like you know, Final Cut or something, and for those who can see, you just you just you know tap X and your thing does whatever. And so I think. I think for people who do use it, again, it is very effective. Um, and that's I don't know. I mean, I read a lot of tech news and nobody yeah. I read likes it. Nobody yeah. thinks it's huh? useful. It's, again, you're, I think you're either in one camp or the other. You either love it and use it a lot or, or you're, you don't. Now, if you do get a MacBook Air with the, with the function keys, they have made some changes there. So there is now a dedicated dictation button. There is a button for Spotlight, which is strange to me because there was always a keyboard shortcut for Spotlight, but I guess that just makes it easier for sighted people who don't remember that you can press command space. There's also a button uh, on the um, function keys now for do not disturb, and there's an emoji button. So what they've taken away 
is the uh, launch pad, which I don't think anyone will care about very much, and the two keys for keyboard brightness. Now, that's interesting. So you can go into Control Center, which is new in Big Sur, and turn the keyboard brightness down, but you won't be able to do it with a keyboard command anymore. Well, I use screen curtain personally, so I just have an I have a shortcut key option C for me just turn screen curtain on, so I'm I'm not really concerned about the brightness, but that that is interesting, but I think from what I read the keyboard and and the display and th- there is some technology in there that will kind of adjust to to lighting and things for sighted people that need that. So, that might be important, but I just use screen curtain cuz I don't need my screen. The M1 processor cannot at this stage support more memory than 16 gigs of RAM. The Intel Macs could go up to 32 gigs, so I'm sure that's something that will come out in the wash eventually. Mm-hmm. What people also need to be aware of is that the RAM is not upgradable. So yeah. if you go for right. 8 gigs today and then you decide, oh man, I wish I had 16, you are out of luck. So you probably want to go for the 16 gigs from the get-go, I would think. So I listened to a podcast called Mac Break Weekly. It's a mainstream tech podcast. And I, I listened to this morning's, ep- well, yesterday's episode this morning before we recorded. And one of the things that they were saying is, yes, you know, you might want or need 16 or think you do, but this is so new that we really can't compare. You know, people are trying to compare it and, and that may not be the best solution because it is so new. It's, it's you know, everything all in one and all this integrated memory and things like that. So I think we will just have to see how it shapes out. The basic model of the Mac has 256, but they, they do offer it in 500 and they offer a terabyte, um, you know, but obviously those are more expensive. 16 is a, is a lot of, it's a good deal of RAM. I mean, if, if you're just doing day-to-day stuff, if you're not a power user or somebody that's doing a lot of gaming or graphics or anything like that, then it's, it, it actually should be okay. Yeah. I, I only have eight, I think in this one. Do you think that the RAM has any impact on Safari Busy? Um, I don't think so. I mean, 8 is kind of the the general, again, standard configuration. And um, I don't know what causes some of the, the busy stuff. Um, I, I I think it's, you know, a lot of the different ads and stuff on pages. I mean, frankly, browsing the web sometimes drives me insane because there are just so many, so many pop-up ads and videos that try to load and ugh. Yeah, that's why I yeah, wonder I whether if you did get the 16 gigs, whether you might get less Safari busy. I don't know. I think I think we'll just have to wait and, you know, we'll have to see. Mm. Are you using the Mac exclusively, Janet, or do you sometimes go to Windows for certain tasks? I do not do Windows. Um, no, I, I use the Mac exclusively. When I got my first Mac, I had Windows on my Mac, and eventually mm-hmm. I just took it off. What are you doing for word processing now? Most of the time, text edit, sometimes pages, but I do a lot of text edit. You know, unless you're doing something major like a a paper with footnotes or a flyer or all kinds of fancy stuff, if you're just writing text, then that's fine. What about you, Katie? Are you dabbling in Windows as well or using uh, the Mac exclusively? I use Windows for for work. I have a Windows PC, so I do get to be in that environment for my, my day job. But for my personal computing use, I use a Mac. I do have Windows on this current Mac, but I haven't used it in so long, and it's become so painful <laughs> for me to do it and boot it up that I just don't anymore. I've put it on, but I, I've rarely, rarely used it. So my next Mac, um, which I know the 
you know, right now fusion and things aren't supported anyway. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't need windows on my personal home use. So this is going to be the big decision, isn't it? Because I guess one of the benefits of going to Intel that got blind people so excited when it happened and right throughout the year, I think a lot of people have become interested in the Mac because of the success that they've had with the iPhone. So they're willing to give the Mac a shot and they know that if they really want to for certain applications, they can run Windows either in boot camp or virtual machine. Now, mm-hmm. the jury seems to still be out about exactly what will be possible in terms of virtual machines in the M1 Max, but we can expect that you probably won't be able to run x86 Windows uh, or 64-bit Windows and that you won't be able to boot camp and do all of those things. I think that's highly likely. So if you're taking the plunge on a Mac you can expect to go all in with just Mac OS. And I suppose that begs the question, you know, are there tasks that people might want to do that will either be less efficient or perhaps not even possible on Mac for some people? I think that's a, you know, again, a personal use case. Um, You know, for me, you know, I don't use my laptop as a whole a ton. I do a lot of stuff on my iPhone or my iPad. I do still want to have a laptop around. I'm not quite ready to, to bid it goodbye, but you know, for example, one of the apps that I use now on my Mac is, you know, Braille Blaster. And that's a free open source app that runs on the Windows and Mac. But it's it's really good on the Mac. And I know, you know, I'm looking forward to, to using some of those those apps. But I mean, for me personally, you know, again, I use a combination of text edit, Ulysses, and, you know, Word on the Mac, sometimes pages if I need to. But there's really, you know, again, I can't think of the last time I used Windows for something for my personal work. Mm, So Ulysses is working well for you on the Mac? It is. That's really good to hear. So can we talk about what enthuses you both about the M1 chips? I mean, when we got the Apple presentation, the first thing that came out clearly was this thing is apparently really, really fast and has Mm -hmm. long battery life. I mean, we could be talking about 18 plus hours Mm -hmm. of battery life, depending on what you're doing. And if you can't get to a charge uh, within those 18 hours, you probably need some help. So that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And also one of the things, I tell you what, one bugbear of Windows machines is how much trouble many screen readers seem to have when you wake them up from yes. standby. Yes. If yes. you close the lid and yeah. wa- and then open the lid, it's mm-hmm. a real lottery mm-hmm. as to whether you're going to get speech back or whether th- weird things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So when I heard that presentation, I thought, well, if you can just lift the lid and instantly pop back into what you were doing as if you had just pushed the button on your iPhone, that is mm-hmm. pretty slick. Yeah. I just, I mean, I love, I just, I'm a tech geek, right? So I love just, you know, the fact that this is something new um, the fact that, that Apple is controlling it from, from front to back, I, I think that says a lot. I think, you know, for me, one of the issues I found with Windows is you have, you know, for lack of a better word, you have a lot of the bloatware and stuff and things that are put on there. And, and um, you know, Windows is, has come a long way and Narrator has come a long way and that's great. But, you know, I, I like being cross-platform. I, I enjoy working with my Mac. Um, and so I'm just, I'm eager to to put this new technology to the test. And, you know, again, I'm not, you know, this isn't my main, it's not going to be a main machine for me. I'm going I'm to use it, but I, you know, if there are a few bugs, it's not going to break a workflow for me or anything personally. It's, it's a use case, but it's also, um, you know, I'm just going to look forward to, to putting it through its paces. Like Katie, I do a lot of stuff on my iPhone now. One of the things that they, they kind of quickly said was, 
not only the speed and what it can do, but also in improve security, which I think is a really big thing, mm -hmm. um, especially now. And another thing which I think is really cool and it's, it's going to have now is Touch ID. Yes. Which is, a, which is a, a wonderful convenience. I can't wait for that on my Mac. But, you know, I'm not a power user, so I don't do graphics, obviously. Right. I don't do a lot of production. I don't do photo editing. So, you know, do I need a super, super chip? No. But on the other hand, this is like, you know, it's the same chip basically that they're using in the iPhone and, and in the iPad. And so Apple is controlling the entire ecosystem now. I was left a bit confused about how running iPhone apps on the Mac is actually going to work. But it does sound like we might be heading towards some sort of unified ecosystem where, you know, maybe we'll end up with one Apple operating system one day when, you know, you just run the same OS on your iPhone and it behaves differently because it knows you're working on a touch device. We really do seem to be hitting yeah. a lot of uh, towards a convergence future. That would be great. I've heard different things about this. And, you know, some people say that, you know, Apple's never going to give up on the Mac. The Mac is here to stay. And I th I wonder if this is kind of bringing the Mac into the into the next generation, right? We're you know, where it will be more, you know, handoff or whatever will be even more seamless than it is now. And it's pretty cool now. Um, but, you know, just I, I think it will be interesting to see what happens with the Macs going forward. And again, with the iPhone apps, there may not be many that work at first. And I, you know, I know this, I'm fine with this. Um, you know, I don't expect, you know, Bard or Audible to work necessarily. But I think it is intriguing, you know, to see what could be Right. So you want to be on the cutting edge just to yes. see how this develops. Mm -hmm. And I completely get that myself. I completely <laughs> understand where you're, where you're going with that. One thing that really surprised me, and it's disappointed me for years, is that Apple has chosen not to offer Macs with LTE, or I guess what we would want now is 5G support. That seems really strange that on a device like the MacBook Pro, there's no built-in 5G so that a professional who may be under a time crunch, say a news reporter or something like that, can just upload their audio or, or their graphics or whatever. If they're a TV journalist, they could upload their video from their Mac anywhere. And a lot of Windows PCs have built-in cellular now. So I was surprised they didn't take the opportunity to do that. I heard from CNET, and I didn't get a chance to read it, but it did say something about um, the new MacBooks could help with 5G. But I think here in the States, I mean, 5G just, I know it was like the the big keyword from last month's tick, um, keynote, but it's its just not quite there. I mean, it's just not. It's No, it isn't. It's not where it no. needs to be. So I think, again, this will open the door for more things to come. Maybe there's something in there that isn't activated yet or, right. you know, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't. I don't know those specs, but I, I do think, again, you know, if you if you buy a Mac now, you're going to be hopefully pretty future proof for, for a while. And I did want to come back to the Mac Mini because that is a pretty cool, quite intriguing way to get into the Apple ecosystem. My understanding is that if you're blind, you can now run the Mac Mini without any kind of dongle. You used to have to have a little thing plugged into the uh, HDMI port that emulated a monitor to fool the device into thinking uh, that you have a monitor connected. I believe that's no longer necessary. So it means that a blind person for a fairly minimal investment can get this thing. And if I'm remembering rightly, it's it's very similar in size to an Apple TV. Would that be a yes. fair? Yeah, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it looks kind of like they're an small. Apple TV. So it's they're, they're really cute. small. 
Yeah, yeah cute. It is cute. <laughs> it is. And, and yet, yeah. it's a desktop computer. Yeah. And yes. you can, you know, connect it to powered speakers or something like that and uh, get a, a wireless keyboard and turn voiceover on. And you're up and running with a really small computer that's quite powerful. So if portability isn't a requirement, this could be another way to have a play with the M1 technology. Definitely. Yeah. And like I said, the Mac Mini, that's kind of what I was reading about yesterday a little bit before I drifted off um, to sleep last night late was just thinking about, okay, you know, what do I want? But I, I think, I mean, I would love to maybe someday get my hands on a Mac Mini because I, I am intrigued by such a neat desktop experience. But at the same time, I think for me in my use case right now, it's just going to be easier to to get the laptop and, and go with the Air. So have that form yeah. factor. But I do think, you know, if you're looking to get a new Mac or something, and if you have a display that would work if you're low vision or something, and you have a good monitor set up, you know, go for it. Get get the new Mac. I mean, it's $100 cheaper than the current, than the Intel Mac. And, yeah, and about $300 cheaper than the cheapest um, M1 laptop, if I'm remembering yes. right. I think it comes mm-hmm. in at 699 versus yes. 999 for the lower price. Yes, yeah. 999 mm-hmm. yep. So you're getting the Air, Casey? Is that what you're getting? I think so. Yeah, I think that's what I'm leaning towards. Um, like I said, I don't think I need the the pro, um, and I th- I think um, don't think I'm quite ready for the, the for the mini. You know, I think there's some things with my with my Mantis Braille display that they need to work out first um, with that um, before I could maybe even consider the mini a little bit more. So now we haven't talked about Braille on the Mac. I have to say, when I was a Mac user, Braille on the Mac was a real problem for me. I it, I just felt it was really you know, not ready for prime time. Now, Braille on the iPhone has come a long way. They keep working on it. Have they worked on it in the last few years on the Mac? Not that I'm really aware of. N- nothing special. I mean, I know that there are a whole bunch of Braille displays out and new, and new things coming out. But as far as I know, there's really been no change on the Mac with Braille. But I could be wrong. I don't use Braille a lot with the Mac, um, personally, just because it, I I just don't. I don't. I don't know why I use Braille a lot with, with my, um, my iPhone and my iPad, but I just haven't with the Mac as much. But, you know, for those of us who use something like the Mantis displays, right now those are only supported through USB. So the Bluetooth functionality is just, um, it's quirky. You, you can sometimes get Braille, and it's just a weird um, setup right now. And I don't know what the technical aspects of that of that issue, but... I think there is some room for improvement in Braille, but they do support. I mean, you can plug and play a lot of Braille displays, and it is very seamless. You don't have to do the driver installs and things like that. So, in that regard, it does work well. And you can do, you know, you can do some of the the um, key commands, such as you can on the iPhone with a Braille display. I, I've not really gotten into that on either device personally, but um, for those for those who do, um, that might be a a good thing. To do on the and just finally, Janet, when are you jumping on the M1 bandwagon? What are your upgrade plans? I will probably jump on the M1 bandwagon next year uh, since I, I bought my watch this year. So I'm going to wait on it for a year. I will say that I, I bought the iPhone 10 when it first came out, and, and it was fine. You know, it took a day mm-hmm. to learn the gestures. So it, it's kind of the same. By the time they're releasing hardware, it's usually pretty good. And, um, you know, I, I think just, just re- remember guys too, that you're not only getting a computer with a new chip, you're getting a new operating system and, and, yes. um, you know, just, there will probably be updates. And, and if you are not getting a new Mac, uh, my rule of thumb is 
wait about a week before mm-hmm. you install it because guaranteed there are going to be bug fixes and all kinds of stuff. So avoid the frustration if you're running Catalina right now. My my recommendation is always give it a week or so. To contribute to Mosin at Large, you can email Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com by writing something down or attaching an audio file. Or you can call our listener line. It's a US number, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin FM.